Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 420 Cross-Cultural Psychology with Professor Mark Hunter. I hope you listen and enjoy. Welcome to Unit 2 of Psychology 420, Cross-Cultural Psychology. In this unit, we're going to look at culture and developmental processes and also culture, self, and identity. Let's first look at culture and developmental processes and the idea of temperament. Socialization within a culture begins the very first day of life. Um, The characteristics that a child is born with determines how its caregivers interact uh, with that child. And children born from different cultures are born with different biological predispositions to learn certain cultural practices. And we call this temperament. And temperament is a biologically based style of interacting and responding to the environment that happens from birth. You can have children that are born with an easy temperament. They're adaptable, they're mild, they really don't get upset very much when there's um, things, you know, changes that come along. You have children with a difficult temperament. They're intense, they're irregular, they're, they may cry at different times and be, um, just as the title says, very difficult to, to parent. And then you have children that are slow to warm up. They need time to make transitions. They'll eventually get there, but it doesn't happen instantly. So if it's, when the child is born, we each have a temperament that we're born with. And the degree to which a child's temperament matches the expectations and the values of the parent and the culture can have an effect. If there's a mismatch between uh, a child's temperament and the parent's and the culture's expectation, it can have some negative effects. Um, the, uh, if the parent is having difficulty raising the child, interacting with the child, that can uh, have an effect on later life and later development. The, um, the differences and the temperament of the child and the society and the parents help the, the parent teaches that child to be, to conform to the ideas of the culture. So if a child is, um, has a, a difficult uh, temperament and the culture really demands it to be more easygoing, they will get uh, either rewarded or, or punished to comply with the, t- with the cultural expectations. So temperament is measured in ways of activity level of the child. Do they smile? Do they laugh? Do they show fear? Do they, um, are they distressed when there's limitations, when they can't have what they really want? Are they able to be soothed uh, when they're crying? Do they quiet down uh, easily? Or how long does it take for them to orient to a new person or a new environment? Another aspect of child development and culture is attachment. And attachment is that special bond that develops between the infant and the primary caregiver. Usually the mother, but if it's other than the mother, just someone that is giving care to that child. This primary caregiver gives emotional security to the child. 
And the quality of this can have a lifelong effect on child's development. Uh, a psychologist named Boldy said that, um, who studied attachment, said that infants are pre-programmed and have a biological basis for becoming attached to their caregiver. And it's this relationship is a way for the child to survive by attaching to the caregiver, the one that's providing it food and shelter and, and all the other needs, is to allow that child a greater chance to survive. Now, uh, Bowlby and Ainsworth came up with a, a tripartite classification, just means three ways of understanding attachment. And they measured this by watching how a child reacts when their primary caregiver leaves them uh, for a short period of time. A secure attachment is when the child gets distressed when the mother leaves, but as soon as the mother comes back, they're comforted. An ambivalent uh, attachment uh, style is when the child is distressed when the mother leaves, but sends mixed signals when they come back. They're, they're wanting to be back, but they're, they're almost saying, kind of punishing them about saying, you know, they're crying, they're maybe ignoring them for a little while. An avoidant uh, attachment style is when the child is really not so distressed when the mother leaves and upon returns avoids reuniting with it. There seems to be uh, not a, a connection there between the child and the caregiver. So we think that, of course, the secure uh, style of attachment would be best for our Western society, but not every culture uh, has a uh, that same viewpoint. Different cultures have different views of attachment, which may be optimal across other cultures. Um, and again, children are born with a biological predisposition toward temperament and attachment. And so the, um, if you have a child has a close interaction with the caregiver, then that caregiver is uh, more likely to introduce aspects of the culture to that child. And the child, of course, learns more about that. Another aspect that we are talking about is cognitive development. And from your previous psychology classes, you know the, the big name in uh, cognitive development is Piaget. And you've studied the four levels of cognitive development. Sensory motor stage where kids uh, understand the world through their senses and moving about. The pre-operational stage when they're able to use symbols such as language and understand the world about them. The operational stage when they're really starting to think logically about things that are concrete, things that they can touch and see and feel. And then the post-operational stage when they're able to think abstractly uh, about certain concepts. Now, in some cultures, um, few people really obtain that fourth stage of formal uh, operations. And it depends on what is appropriate for their culture. Um, so different cultures value different ways of thinking. And so those values are imparted to the children. And of course, that leads to their development. Um, so the idea of the fourth stage of formal operations as a universal stage has been questioned by researchers and whether or not that's really true. Um, 
but we do know that cognitive development is inseparable from culture. You can't uh, have one without the other. And the psychologist that really focused on this was Vygotsky. His was called social cultural development, that the interaction between the adult, the caregivers, and the child, especially with regards to language, is important for the child to pick up what is important in that culture. And they use this through a variety of terms and uh, ways, such as the zoned approximate development, where the, the adult will provide some sort of challenge to the child that they can obtain only with the help of another adult or, or caregiver that they can reach that. Something that's not so difficult that they can't reach it or too easy that they can become bored. Now we come to the area of moral reasoning and defining what is moral. And um, the, for our purposes, anything that's defined as moral is something that applies to everyone. There's no exceptions. And it's based off the values within that culture. Um, conventional ideas are really, you can think of those as the laws of the land, things that apply maybe to certain groups. We know that laws can be changed at times and therefore conventions can be changed. Personal morals are those which apply to yourself, individuals, and they uh, we know that uh, they can develop, get stronger, or change within an individual. The, the premier idea of what moral development refers to is, is through Kohlberg's and uh, you probably have heard this in previous classes. Conventional, pre-conventional, excuse me, moral development is compliance with the rules to avoid punishment and gain rewards. Really, what can you do that'll benefit you? The idea of what is moral is what you can do to get something out of it for yourself. The next stage is conventional morality, and that refers to what is recognized among the society for uh, the laws, the rules that uh, are agreed upon in, in that, within that society. And then post-conventional morality. And Kohlberg said that most people don't reach this stage. It's really based off the idea of principles that are um, more universal, ethics and morals that go beyond laws. And for example, a law, if you, at one time, it was a law to allow segregation and, and discriminatory practices. However, uh, through the civil rights movement, we learned that uh, those laws were wrong and those laws were changed. And so there was a post-conventional um, ideas provided to that to change those conventions to make them more equitable for, for everyone. Now, some aspects of Kohlberg's theory are universal. He did a lot of work to, uh, to test his theory across different parts of the world. And, but some researchers have questioned whether that fourth stage, excuse me, the third stage of post-conventional post morality is universal to all. As we talked about it's, uh, with Piaget, that formal operations um, isn't always apparent in each culture post-conventional morality, which is theories, Kohlberg's theory is tied to Piaget's theory, may not be applicable. So people from different cultures actually reason in 
uh, differently about different moral dilemmas. What one culture may say, this is the right thing to do. Another culture may say a different uh, response is correct. Um, different cultures have different perspectives on the idea of autonomy. What is the right of the individual versus community? And we talk about the collectivistic societies where the role of the community is more important. Um, how much do they put on the role of divinity, the role of, of where does uh, worship of God and how does that have an impact of what is right and what is wrong? Um, so different cultures can have different moral systems. So in so issues concerning human development, uh, developmental pathways are usually universal uh, throughout the whole world that way that children develop are um, uh, the same throughout different cultures. But how that happens can be affected by the culture. And so each person is born into a culture and they have different sets of expectations and whether they will meet those or not. And different cultures have an influence on that person. Chapter five, we're gonna talk about culture, self, and identity. And first we're gonna look at culture and self. And we all have a self-concept. We have a representation of who we are and what we think about ourselves and when we, how we define ourselves. And our self is really made of our constructs, our ideas about what, how we understand ourselves in relationship to other people. The, um, the concept of self differs from different cultures. Um, you know, the um, different cultures put different rules, different emphasis on what is important on living and existing within a culture. Um, some cultures say that the individual must be connected with all the others within the community. Some recognize that every person is an individual. We have this independent view of ourselves that we're a unique individual, that we're separated from others. But yes, there's also a view of interdependency of ourselves, that we are necessary to have interaction between uh, others within our society. So this, um, So this uh, video, excuse me, this diagram here shows you that an inter independent control of the self on the left side, where you have these values, but you see yourself as separate from your mother, your father, friends, and coworkers and siblings. But an interdependent um, view of self, which we see in more collectivist societies, where your mother is really part of you, your father is really part of you, and others are making up who you are. So um, this idea of interdependence and uh, independence is really happens uh, simultaneously. Even in a, the Western societies, which value more independence, we do have special connections with those in our family and, collect and connect close to us. How do we look at self-esteem and self-enhancement? So self-esteem is the idea that we make valuations about ourselves and 
self-enhancement is really the idea that we, um, we, the process is that we use to bolster our self-esteem. We, uh, we've also found that every culture has um, referred to as a terror management theory. How do they think of death? Uh, some societies are, are scared to death of death. Uh, some societies see it as just a natural part of life and are not as fearful of it. And so different death uh, rituals and, and um, practices or beliefs are really unique to each culture. When we're talking about our identity is who do we see ourselves that makes us different from other people? Uh, do you see yourself as being a part of a collective? Um, you know, that you belong to social categories, that you're a Christian or that you're a fan of such and such a team or, or just, um, you know, part of the state culture or, or part of the United States? Or do you, how do you relate to yourself with others, relational identity? And so different cultures place different values on this. It's, all cultures have these ideas. It's just what, how much emphasis do they put on these different um, identities? Um, people who are multicultural really see themselves as having two different identities. They uh, could be where they um, were adopted into from one country to another system or they've, um, they've moved to another culture and really trying to understand the, the balance between uh, your old and your new cultures and that enculturation process. And it's found that people who speak multiple languages will actually switch their cultural belief system when they're speaking that new, that language. They'll go from um, their native language into their learned language, but they'll also learn the, uh, the culture and apply those cultural rules along with that. So in conclusion, Self and identity are important for us to helping people understand who they are and the world around them. We need to understand who we are in relationship to other people. But different cultures put different emphasis on different senses of self and identity. Some cultures value the more individualistic, some value the more collectivistic or the more communal. And, um, and when we have an idea of who we are within a culture, we're able to achieve more usually by within that culture if we have a clear understanding of who we are. Well, that concludes unit two, and I'll see you in unit three.